The following message is made available by Truth For Life. For more information, visit us online at truthforlife.org. Thanks, Nick. Nick is, uh, has the office right next to me, so we're in every conversation together. Because he, he can hear every word I say, and, uh, which is great. If you guys need handouts, Stevie, will you pass these out? Steve or Steve, either one. That'd be great. Thank you. And uh, again, Nick's here to keep me on track. I have a tendency to get off track all the time. So he's my, uh, he's my uh, leash that I need. I was asked to lead this breakout session because we think here at Parkside, we talk here at Parkside, and we pray frequently about growing a Christ-centered culture here at Parkside. And a Christ-centered culture is the fruit of Christ-centered lives, and we're all on a journey. And we're going to share with you today the things that we are learning, perfect tense, continual, and will be learning until we get promoted or Christ comes back. I meet with, in fact, with all the people at Parkside, we'll meet with the facilities, we'll meet with the admin people, the accounting department, bookstore, cafe, you name it, everybody will meet every year and we'll go through these things. Why? Because everybody matters in a Christ-centered culture. And everybody has an equal opportunity to be a part of the culture. The guys right there, Maurice and Connor and Caden, they're young guys, they're in their teens, they're on the facility team, and they matter in a Christ-centered culture as much as Alistair Bake. You may not know their names. In fact, Karen's in the back. Karen is, raise your hand, Karen. Stand up, Karen. This is Karen Smith. And I told her that Colin did a decent job in his talk, but that she did a great job. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, those who are less visible are actually deserving of greater honor. And we actually believe that because it's true. And the gospel is totally counterintuitive. It turns everything upside down, which is the right way up. My desire is to give you some food for thought in the 60 minutes that we have and to facilitate your thinking. And some of this will make sense to you. Some of it will make absolutely no sense to you. But that's your choice. You're going shopping. You take what you want. Write down, as Nick said, what you like and just forget what you don't like, and you'll do that anyhow. (laughs) And actually, my desire going into every talk I do every week is I pray for myself and everyone here to remember just one thing. And and just recently, just in my devotional life, my wife and I were working through Mark, and we're we're Mark Gated a couple weeks ago, and what hit me is that Jesus touched the blind man a second time again, it says, so he could see here. And every time we read scriptures, we need to be asking God to help us see Christ more clearly, to hear his voice more clearly, to touch our minds and our hearts to understand it more fully, and to trust it, and remember at least one thing. And then, as we trust, whatever we trust will transform us. And we want to learn to trust Christ, who He is and what He's done more and more every day, to rescue us from the familiar so that we can trust Him more, so we can become more like Him, so we can be more useful to Him, because that's why He saved us. I've been here, as you already heard, for a long time, probably longer than a lot of you have been alive, okay? At least some of the younger guys. And uh, I was in business for 22 years when I came to Parkside uh, two years after becoming a believer. It's the first believing church I was involved in. It was called the chapel. And uh, I became an elder seven years after coming to faith, a little young, based on the Bible, as I learned. 
And actually, it was four years before Alistair came. And then I came on staff in uh, 94, as we said earlier, and I've been here ever since. So that gives you my content. Oh, my background, I was a partner in an accounting firm as an elder here. That was my ministry and my work ministry. And I actually told people when I left Arthur Anderson, I actually left the ministry. Because we're here, we're like coaches. We're a coaching staff. And we're equipping the believers, the saints, to do the work of ministry. And the ministry is not in these walls. The ministry is outside these walls. And we can't lose sight of that. No, we can, but we don't want to. Again, what I'm doing today is more topical, which is a little outside my box, because every week we all study to learn to live God's Word and teach God's Word, and expositionally, but we'll do our best. I'll do my best. We're going to look at three aspects of a Christ-centered culture. It's in your handout, so we can't forget it. The power, the priority, and the practicalities, it should be of Christ-centered culture for the second two. Priority of Christ-centered culture and practicalities of a Christ-centered culture. The first one is culture in general. Okay. When I say the word culture, the power of culture, when I say the word culture, the challenges for this session is that it means a lot of different things to different people. And the first thing we think of is that a culture of a country, which it is. But we're, what we're going to focus on today is the culture of a church. The culture of an organization to start with when we think about the power of culture. In any organization, a church, the culture in that organization, or in our context, the church, is the what we do, the why we do it, and the how we do it. The what, the why, the how. And local churches are simply the product, a combination of a bunch of believers that get together to worship. And we all do what we do because what we believe, but not what we say we believe because that can be lip service, which it often is for all of us but it's how we behave. Because how we actually live, how we behave is really the profession of what we truly believe. The power of culture. One business reader wrote that the power of culture is this, that culture, not vision or strategy, is the most powerful factor in any organization, business, church, hospital, or church. The power, culture is the most powerful factor in any organization. Peter Drucker, whom some of you may know his name, was one of the most respected thinkers and writers on leadership and management theory over the last hundred years. He wrote this. He says, culture eats strategy for breakfast every day. As culture is the secret sauce that keeps employees motivated, clients happy, and companies successful. Simple point, the power of culture. You don't have to buy that, but that is going to be my presupposition. And every secular book I've ever read, and being an Arthur Anderson, I developed leadership training for the firm, and I read all of them back then. And they all say the same thing. So the simple point is culture is the most powerful factor in any organization. And what's interesting about all those secular books, they all proclaim biblical principles, all of them, without Christ. And guess what? If a country or a company follows biblical principles, it's successful. That's not the point of the Bible. The point is about salvation, about God's glory. But they work. But they work on biblical principles without Christ's power. 
unnatural virtue. And that works for 20 minutes. And they say every civilization like ours, every republic, this came from a guy in Scotland, Edinburgh, Alexander Tytler. He said, republics last about 200 years because you're going to run out of gas. You're without a natural virtue. And we're on that path. Probably like every other republic. We're a little bit of an overachiever because we're beyond 200 years. But we're pretty fast to catch up. At Parkside and all gospel churches, we have not only the biblical principles, but we have God living in us. So we got God's power to live God's way for God's purpose, which is his glory and not ours. That is the divine advantage that all of us have in this room, assuming we're all believers. So the simple point I'm trying to make is that culture is the most powerful factor in any organization, including the church that you're a part of. And how everyone, keyword, everyone believes in our churches, leadership, pastors, elders, deacons, every believer will either be progressively contributing and adding to our Christ-centered culture, just like the three guys cleaning the bathroom out there. They're as important as anybody else, or they will be diminishing the culture because everybody matters in a Christ-centered culture, and everybody can, will contribute one way or the other. We all are. No exceptions. So that's the power. Number two, the priorities of a Christ-centered culture. I'm going to mention just two what I think are the most important. And when I think about these two priorities, when we get into the practicalities, I'm going to unpack it a little bit. But everything I say today, you already know. I don't apologize for that. I love Peter. He says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory. As long as it's in body, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. So that after my departure, you'll better remember these things. Paul says the same thing in Corinthians. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And that, a thought here, Christian leaders are reminders. I'll come to it later in the practicality, are repeaters. The gospel is all about one thing, relationships. It begins when we have a relationship with God through Christ by the Holy Spirit and the relationships with other people. So priority number one is a personal relationship with God, the true triune living God, which is only possible one way, the way God designed it, his way. The Bible tells us that the Father planned the way of salvation, that Jesus Christ, his only son, God the Son, purchased the way of salvation, and God the Holy Spirit produces this in it, in us. The moment we believe in every there every moment thereafter. And it's God's way. It's the one and only way. So priority number one is your relationship with Christ. And again, as we make Jesus number one in our life, it changes our lives. As we trust him. Because whatever you trust will transform your life. That's why God said, when he made us, he made us in his image. When he says, he made us to worship. He made us to love. He made us to trust, believe. And we're all, everyone in this world, atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, Sikhs, Shintos, you name it, are all trusted in something, in someone. 
And whatever we trust, whatever we worship, whatever we love will transform us into the likeness. That's why he says in greatest commandment, Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Because God knows he made us to worship, and whatever we worship, whatever we love, whatever we trust will transform us into the likeness of what we're trusting. Get rid of that. Okay, priority number two. So number one, your relationship, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, your personal relationship with people, believers and unbelievers, to help them grow closer to Christ. We're helping unbelievers come to faith in Christ, and we're helping believers grow closer to Christ. When Jesus was asked about the most important commandment, the great commandment, we see it in the Gospels, he quotes Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus asked that in Matthew 22. He goes, he gives us the second priority. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commission, Matthew 28, that Colin made reference to earlier. Only believers can love God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength because we have God, the Spirit, living in us to do what we couldn't do before and to do what we didn't want to do before, to love God. And then to love others the way He loves us, not the way they love us, the way He loves us. Well, we're going to unpack this in our practicality, so I'm not going to say much more about that. So let's get to the practicalities. What are we doing? Oh, boy, still behind. Woo! We'll keep moving. Okay, okay. Thanks. I love that encouragement, even if it's not true. And uh, practicality number one, your relationship with, with God, with Christ. Priority number two, or practicality number two is, what's the commandment? Seek the kingdom first. Love Christ the most. Seek Christ's kingdom first. Make every effort to pursue your relationship with Christ. That's your daily number one priority. Everybody in this world is going to do what's most important to them. For believers, it has to be progressively Christ, our relationship with him. Believers are learning, present tense again, perfect tense, to love Christ the most as we daily hear him tell us in his word again and again and again that he loves us the most. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life. The world, you know, not picking anybody, but you think about uh, J-Lo. You know, she's on her fourth round, right? Because Ben makes her feel a certain way for 20 minutes. Because we think, worldly speaking, humanly, us too, we think love is how you make me feel. It's a feeling. No, no. Love is self-giving, self-sacrifice. That's how we can love our enemies. They loved us perfectly. He gave his life for us. And he says, do good to those who hate you. That means give them what they don't deserve. And since he, as we experience that progressively every day, guess what? We'll know that we are because we're going to be loving others. Not the way they love us. Even if you're married, your spouse won't love you perfectly. But Jesus does. And, and, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians, says, Christ loves, drives us. Everybody in this world is driven by love. Everybody. The only question is, what are you loving? Who are you responding to? And the only perfect love is God's love. 
Okay, number three. You can make your own questions. The secret private life that only Jesus sees is the key to your public life. Even your spouse does not see this if you're married. You can hide from your spouse. But you can't hide from Christ. And public usefulness is directly tied to your private life. Matthew 6, your father who sees in secret will reward you. What's our reward? Again, we think upside down. What am I going to get? No. Your reward is that you're going to know Christ better, and you're going to better make him known, and you're going to bring glory to him. It's not about what you get. It's about what you give. Our reward is what we get to give to God who gave us everything, right? All believers are leaders because we're followers of Jesus. But leaders in a church, pastors, teachers, deacons, whatever you call people, have a greater privilege and responsibility because so goes the leader. People are going to follow us. And it's not about what we say, it's how we live. Now, what we say, we want it to be consistent. But unfortunately, when we get to that in hypocrisy, we've got to close the gap between what we say and how we live. And that's called repentance. We'll get to that later. The best leaders in a Christ-centered culture are the best followers. They're the most like Jesus. That's number four. The best leaders in a Christ-centered culture are the best followers of Jesus. Number five. In all your personal relationships and mine, the better my communication, your communication, the better our relationships. Okay? We know that. I remember when I do wedding ceremonies, I always talk about, and my wife always reminds me of this, rightly. Right, Karen? And, she, and I go, you got two ears and one mouth. That should tell me how much time I should spend talking versus listening. And I got to repent. Because I'm a talker. But I can repent. So how do we listen to God? We listen as we read his word. And I remember when I did Acts, taught through Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was reading out loud. That's how he knew it was Isaiah 53. Because when you read out loud, they were smart. It increases retention and comprehension. So that's, we listen to God, and then we talk to God. That's prayer. But we should, it's a conversation, so we should be talking to God about what he's saying to us. And prayer should be a response for the most part, at least the majority of it, and pray with an open Bible. Because we need to hear. And we need to talk to him about what he's saying to help us understand it. Number six. To have your relationship with Christ is to be in Christ. The New Testament also calls it in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit. And it's, it's so live in, you can get this from 1 Peter 4, you can get this from Romans 15. To live by God's power, prayerfully. To live in God's way, biblically, consistent with his word. And to live for God's glory, humbly. Okay, we all got that. No, we don't. Because in order to get that, you've got to repent. I naturally live by my own power. Because we got energy, right? We got motivation. But I've got to die. I've got to repent. I naturally live by my own logic. But I've got to die and I've got to rise. I naturally, all of us, not just me, all of us live for our own glory. Some of us may be a little more obvious than others, but we've got to repent, repent, repent. But because we've got to live in this, we can see the problem and we can kill the problem. And we must. 
Luther said, all of life is repentance. Owen says, kill sin or sin will kill you. Bruce Milne says, increasing repentance is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but a spiritual growth and maturity. As you grow in your relationship with Christ, you should be increasing repenting, which is why I produced in Paul. He said, I'm less than the least of all the saints. I'm less than the least of all the apostles. I'm the greatest of sinners, he says in Timothy. And guess what? He actually believed that. And so can we if we're dying and rising, if we're repenting. Number seven. That brings us to the fact that Jesus died for our sins and only because of that can we die to our sins. Because now we have his power to do so. The seed of problem and to turn away from it and turn to him. Dying and rising in Christ is number seven. Believers repent the first moment we believe when we trust in Christ. Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. John said it. Jesus said it. And we repent every moment thereafter. Life is about dying and rising because Christ died for our sins. And I wrote one thing down I want to actually read. By faith, believers are united to Jesus' death and Jesus' life. So believers are now free to die to our sins by our union with Jesus' death and free to Live like Jesus by our union with his life. Only possible in Christ. Number eight. Be forgiven. I don't know what it says on there, but that's what I got written down here. We all need to be forgiven because we're all sinners. We might be safe sinners, but you're a sinner. You need to be dying and rising every day, as do I. And I love the fact that Jesus in the prayer gave us, forgive us, our Father, plural. Forgive us, plural. As we forgive others, lead us, not in a temptation. It's a community activity that we need battle buddies. We won't even talk about that, but that's an important. You need biblical friends. No one does this alone. There's a recent book out. My son-in-law was reading to me. You know, relationships have gone from everybody had six, then they had five, then they had four. We're down there now. In our culture right now, they, everybody has less than one quality friendship in their life. The more we have communication, noise, the less we actually have relationships. Fascinating, isn't it? What a paradox. Number nine, personal holiness. Derek Prime uh, Colin and Alistair both worked with Derek at Shutter Chapel, and he was here back in the 90s. And I remember he said, your number one priority, he was talking to the elders and the pastors, is your personal holiness. And that's true. And all these things that we're talking about, these practicalities, are an equal opportunity in the gospel. Everybody, went, when I was in business, we all did all the EEOC stuff, which is fine. But the only opportunity that there is in this life is in the gospel. So everybody can do this. Because they're not dependent upon your personality, your gifting, your, your gender, your race, your ethnicity, whatever. Your economics, your intellect. It's dependent upon God living in you. Okay, that's practicalities of God. Now practicalities with people. Jesus pursued, there's the word I want you to think about, while we hated him, Romans 5, ungodly, weak, sinners. He died for us then. He pursued us while we hated him, while we rejected him. 
He said, oh, I didn't hate Christ. Yes, you did. You're either an enemy or you're a follower. You either love him or you hate him. There's no middle ground. Religion. You, go to, you talk to Sikhs. You talk to Hindus. You talk to Muslims, the Jews, cultural Christians. It's all about what I do to earn God's favor. The gospel is the only exception. It's not about what we do, which is meritocracy. It's about what he's done. Are you trusted in your resume or God's resume? You're trusted in one of the two. I remember I had one of my partners used to ask me, well, okay, what does the Bible say? And I go, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, but you can't do it. He goes, what do you mean I can't do it? Because you don't have the power to do it. You need a new heart. You go to Cleveland Clinic and Lawrence Fencing can put a new heart in your body. But that's not it. That's physical. You need a new spiritual heart, and only believers have that. Number 11, core focus. Believers pursue personal relationship with believers and unbelievers to practice core focus. See, it's natural for everyone in this room to have a crowd focus. Why? That's Augustine. He said, I renounce my desire for human praise. Second point was, ah, approval of my peers. There you come. And public recognition. I set them aside today deliberately content to hear you whisper, the only audience that matters, hear God whisper, well done, good and faithful servant. Core focus. Jesus had 12, and he had three. We all need to be asking God to help us clarify who are our core people in our lives. Probably those nearest and dearest to us or closest to us. And then invest in them your most important asset your time, money, abilities, okay, your time, because we all have 24-7. Ask God to give you wisdom to identify and pursue. Number one in your core as a believer is God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. If you're married, it's your spouse, number two. Number three, family. And for me, it's the elders and their families, the pastors and their families, the directors and their families. I always use my hand because it's always with me, right? I naturally do this, play to the crowd. Because they don't know me. I love applause and so do you. But I can repent. It's Jesus, my wife, my kids, my core friends, and then last and least, the crowd. Now about unbelieving core, okay? I wrote down past and present because that's important. I have a lot of relationships that are through Anderson. I still pursue. Head of our Accenture practice came to faith two years ago. A guy that hired me came to faith about a year ago, December 23rd, because he called me. If you don't have any else, pick up a one-year New Testament. They're free to you because we paid for them. And that's the gospel. The gospel's free to us because God paid the ultimate price. Pick one up in the front of that says, God's plan of salvation. And on the, on the last page, it'll have a plan of salvation. You're signing data. My buddy called me after years, giving me the stiff arm, and said, Jeff, I signed and dated it December 23rd. His wife then was June 23rd. Amazing. Only God could do that. I gave him a Bible years earlier, and he goes, I read it. He goes, what are we reading now? I go, read it again. And he goes, I just read the thing. Again, you're going to be reading it for the rest of your life. Now, that didn't make any sense forever. He called me in October of 2022, uh, 2020, and he said, my son just challenged me, because he's a very dynamic guy, CEO guy, and he said, my, fan, my, my uh, son just challenged me, Dad, you don't have any friends. You got a bunch of acquaintances. Nobody really knows you. 
And he called me to say, Jeff, you're my friend, aren't you? And we've been talking every week since then. And then he comes to faith because he's in my core now. But he's a guy from the past. You've got to identify your core and you invest in your believing core and your unbelieving core. Why? To move closer to Christ and help them move closer to Christ. Unbelievers coming to faith, believers growing closer to Christ with you. Wherever we're at here, and I think number 12, I think. Oh, ask God to help you love your core. The self-sacrifice. To love them the way they love, the way he loves you, not the way they love you. Your believing and unbelieving core will hurt you. They will disappoint you. They will wrong you. But we can and we must forgive them because we've been forgiven. Again, everything we do is a response to who he is and what he's done. We love because he loved us first. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And if we're having a hard time loving and forgiving, we've lost sight of Christ, which we do. But we can repent. Sometimes your believing core will hurt you as much or even more than your unbelieving core. Friendly fire is painful. Number 13, mutual discipleship. Core focus with other believers creates mutual discipleship. That's Romans 1, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Romans 14, that you and I may pursue what is for our building up, mutual building up. That's what we're doing when we're talking. And it doesn't matter. Kep's right here. When his daughter was at Theater College, I remember talking to my office, and we're, I'm, we're talking truth, thinking the truth, trusting the truth, and it was mutual. Somebody in the world would say, oh, you're really helping that girl out. No, no, no. God is helping both of us out. And I'll make it even more profound. My three-year-old granddaughter, when I'm going through the Bible stories over in the office or in her home, I'm telling her the truth, and we're both learning to trust it. And it's mutual because God is doing all the heavy lifting, which is why God must get all the glory. Okay, where are we at here? Who knows? 14? Okay, 14, here we go. Oh, one other thing on core. Core focus produces fruit. And here's a pull out of left field. 50-50. Spend 50% of your time with believers and 50% of your time with unbelievers. When I was at Anderson, I had to work really hard to spend 50% of my time with believers. But that was I never got there, but I worked toward it. Now here at Parks, I'm in this holy huddle here. I got to work real hard to give my priority time to unbelievers where and if you're in full-time ministry you got to work really hard with your neighbors you're oh my goodness we're done already okay we're going to just wrap up here ah um pursuing your core will make fun i love working with nick i remember one of my buddies in business used to say we were always laughing in my office are we supposed to be having this much fun and that's how it is here we laugh we have fun Life's greatest problem, simple, I am, J.K. Chesterton. Every difficult person or circumstance around you, God has allowed in your life to show you your problem, which is your sin. Those are problems, but those aren't your main problem. Your sin is your problem, and you can die and rise. Ah, hypocrisy. We just did this at the staff meeting. Matthew 23, seven times he says, you Pharisees are hypocrites. And guess what? That's why Colin said it earlier. Look at yourself. Everyone in this room is a hypocrite. 
Every person in this world is a hypocrite. But believers can die and rise, and only believers can do that. And we must die and rise. Oh, I've got to read one quote here. Give me a minute here, Nick. Okay, I'm going to paraphrase. It's Keller, page 63 in his church planning manual by he and Alan Thompson. He basically said, nothing will turn you into a Pharisee like full-time ministry. When I was the Anderson, I'm not telling people all day long about God's goodness and grace and mercy, but here at Parks, I'm talking about it continually. And if it's not transforming me on the inside, as I so easily talk about standing up here, I'm an unrepentant Pharisee. So there's no question that you are a Pharisee. The only question, are you dying and rising? Okay, Nick, I'm almost there. Oh, leadership practicality. I'm just going to mention these. We're not going to get to it. Number one, God's glory and content. Oh, I've got to read one more thing. Thomas Watson, Body Divinity. We aim at God's glory when we're content that God's will should take place, though it may cross mine. We aim at God's glory when we're content to be outshined by others so that his glory may be proclaimed. We glorify God being contented in the state of providence which he has placed us. God could have raised me higher. He could have put me in a different place, but he's put me here in wisdom and love, and I'm content in the place of his choosing. Enough. Okay. Number two under leadership, leaders don't dictate. The moment you start dictating, you have stopped leading. The only exception is if something's not a biblical essential. Let me tell you, you'll know it's a biblical essential. Are you willing to die for it? The 288 guys from 1555 to 1588 were burned at the stake in England. If you're not willing to die, it's not a salvific essential, then have an opinion, but don't be dogmatic. Number three, leaders have to earn trust. They hear this all the time. Just telling the young guy, well, I want you just to trust me. No, you've got to earn trust. And guess who else has to, have to, has to learn trust? Nobody trusts a leader. This could hurt me if I tell them the truth. You've got to ask for it, invite it, and then reward it, especially when it hurts. And it might even be untrue. But you need to know what people are thinking because that's your reality. And most people never hear. That's how we made so much money in Anderson. We go charge $10 million bucks to a company. All I had to go around is just talk to the, the people there. They would never talk to the leaders because they don't trust them. And the leaders would never talk to the people because they didn't like them. They thought they were stupid. All right, just go around, make some notes, present it to the board with a nice binder, and get $10 bucks. What a gig, man. What a gig. Gospel, oh, here's an important one. Gospel leaders are studying to learn not to preach. Primarily, to live. Anybody can stand up and do what I'm doing. The Satan can do it better than I'm doing. He understands the gospel. He just doesn't believe it. Study, because Satan cannot live the gospel, though. Leaders are repeaters. Rockefeller said in his book, he said, on leadership, he said, if your people don't mock you for repeating yourself, you're not a leader. Now, the guys on the team will say, check that off the list. We're mocking you. Okay, got it. <laughs> okay, we're there, Nick. That's number six. Where's number seven? We're in the heck of seven. Pass the glory around. We all want the glory. But in a Christ-centered culture, you want to give the glory to people that are, you're under, the people that are your peers, and the people that are your subordinates. Oh, boy. Eight. Character in a Christ-centered culture trumps talent every time. Can't talk about it. Number nine, everyone matters equally. I've already touched on that. And in a team, I tell people, you got to grow or you got to go. 
because you're either building to the structure or you're killing the structure. There's no room for people just monkeying around. Not, not immediately. Give them time. Work with them over years even. But if you can't grow, you don't want to grow, you got to go. Number five. Did I miss it? I have no idea. Anybody, what does it say? Oh, man. Thank you. Uh, won't say anything about it. Only the gospel does it. We need plurality, parity, and unity in leadership. And it's inefficient, just like core focus. To lead someone, you've got to persuade and influence. That's why dictators, everybody's a dictator. Why? Because it's efficient. I get what I want done because they've got to listen to me. That's that leadership. It's when you spend your life, your time, persuading and influencing. But what was your point again? Plurality, parity, and unity. You know, that, that's different. The point is, Alistair has a thing out there in Titus 1 from 1991. 1593 is the, is the tape. Phenomenal. Best thing I've ever heard of it. So listen to him. He knows more than I do. <laughs> and love, no, but it's great. I, I want to plug that because it's true. And, and number 11 is for motivated people, hold tightly to God and lightly to your plans. Okay, we're done, Nick, right? We're done. Okay. Woo! Okay, now is your part. Anybody have a question? Thanks for giving us this time. Uh, I hated to see you stop. Yeah. Uh, I just jotted down a question all the way back with, uh, we're talking about personal relationship with Jesus, uh-huh. number one. And just jotted down, how does Parkside identify and cast down idols? How would they teach their people to identify and cast down? By doing it themselves. And then when God's word speaks. See, when we're living, what we're actually saying, it honors Christ and it has more powers in our word. It doesn't matter how articulate you are. Who's going to be like Alistair Bank or Colin Smith? But in the gospel, you don't have to be. You've got to be like Jesus. And you can't, you know, I mumble and jumble. I can be useful if I'm living this and honoring Christ. So how do you do it? By number one, Study through the Bible, learn the Bible, teach the Bible, and point people to Christ. You do it. It's obvious. Sex, money, power, success are poison. That's why one of our friends and uh, my buddy and over in streams in Egypt, in the Middle East and North Africa, said, we have an advantage in North Africa and the Middle East. We have persecution and poverty. The greatest encumbrance of the church in the U.S. is success, money, sex everywhere. Yes. Is that, does that answer the question? Where, where's Nick at? Okay, you let me know if I screwed this up, okay? Go ahead. Uh, Two-part question. What, what's the rhythm of your staff throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, kind of generally speaking, not personal rhythm, but your staff rhythm? Second-part question. Let's, let's do one at a time. Is that okay? Because I'll forget the second one. So, <laughs> Staff rhythm is we expect them to work at least 50 hours a week. I said... Guys, in business, I was working 80 hours a week. This is like a vacation here, you know? Okay? But so at least 50, and they can do it any way they want. I'm not going to, if I got a babysit someone, they shouldn't be on the team. Okay, number one, the rhythm is we have staff on pastor meeting on Monday. We have prayer on, on Thursday morning, first thing, with everybody. And then they discharge the duties of the ministry. And we'll talk all the time, which is why I'm always here on sun, Saturday studying. I'm always like, hey, no one's around, except Nick here once in a while. And, and the point is, though, because that's not my number one priority. Their rhythm is they have their ministries, 
And, and again, trust, freedom, and focus. I have to earn their trust. And that means they have to become like Christ to be more trustworthy, not perfectly, but progressively. And they do too. And just talking to one of our young guys, well, you should just trust me. I go, well, that would actually be dangerous, you know. And you're just new here. And that's like putting someone in the cockpit and say, oh, I trust you. Go fly the plane, you know. Have fun. And again, you have to earn trust, whether you're the leader or whether you're the follower. And in time, then, once you have trust, with, you can do it a couple of years, then you give total freedom. And then you can focus on what only you can do. Okay, that, is that good? That's great. Second part question, what do you do with underperforming staff? And if it comes to the point to you need to separate, yep. how do you guys do it? We help them. We talk to them about what the problem is. We pray with them. We want to see them grow. But if over time it becomes apparent, like a couple I'm thinking of right now was eight years. And, and it just became obvious to a blind man. This wasn't the right place. So we helped them. We helped them find the next spot. Financially, prayerfully, emotionally. Does that make sense? Same thing at Arthur Anderson. All my buddies that we fired, every year you're either promoted or fired at Arthur Anderson. So we'd hire hundreds of people a year, and we'd fire hundreds of people a year. Because if you're not promoted, you're gone. Every one of them, maybe there's an exception, I probably is, but they're all my friends because we helped them get a job. Fired a partner. He went to the Cedar Fair, got him a job at Cedar Fair. He made like 100 million bucks on the thing. Pat Norton didn't make partner. He went to uh, Barefoot Grass and made 80 million bucks on it. Where's that commission coming? No, he's just kidding. Are you with me? So you help it. It's the same thing in business because a Christ-centered life influences business as much as does a church. My head of my auto practice, my best friend, his girlfriend called me on a Tuesday. I'm not in the office. The only day I'm not in the office. I say, Bob can't move his legs. I've wrestled with this guy for three years about addiction alcohol depressed because of his wife blah 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 he messed up she divorced him so he, he drinks and say he medicates right she called me i go over there he's a big guy six six and i can't get him to move his legs so i called 911 we go to the hospital i talked to the doctor and we've gone through the gospel this is a big smart intelligent guy i remember sitting in the parking garage at anderson he said jeff i love you you don't hear that from a man man okay we're now at, goes in the hospital on tuesday thursday his liver was fine. His kidneys shut down. The following Tuesday, died on a respirator. What am I doing at the last moment of his life? I'm telling him about the thief on the cross with his girlfriend next to me, who is Korean. And it matters as much in a business or a school or a hospital as it does. And it, you may have to wait years and decades to see the fruit. But everybody needs Christ. Does that make sense? Did that answer your question? Come back. Okay, next. Yes. Uh, you quoted uh, Thomas Watson earlier. Body of Divinity, page th- 11 and 13. On uh, the first chapter, worth the whole book. rest of it is not. I remember Sinclair Ferguson was at a pastor conference. <laughs> we had a pastor conference, and I asked Sinclair. He stood up and said, somebody asked him in the Q&A, what's your f- favorite book? He said, Body of Divinity. Next time he was here, I'm saying, hey, Sinclair, I read that book. He goes, your favorite book? He goes, oh, what was that? And I said, Body of the goes, oh, did I say that? <laughs> I said, it was a brutal book to read. But the first chapter is worth the effort. Yes? The difference between uh, get, moving into a culture that exists or starting something from the beginning. Any difference? Big difference. 
because you don't know what you're getting into from the outside. Only the thing you know, it's dysfunctional. If you're here, you know the dysfunction, and we're dysfunctional. That's why Alice would say, we're not a great church, because we're not. But we're a decent church, okay? And, but we're hopefully progressing. Steve Terrell's an elder over there. We're trying to grow closer to Christ together, die and rise together. If you've got a good culture, you want to always promote from within. Every Jim Collins will tell you that. Every book will tell you that. But you've got a bad culture, take your, take your luck on the outside. I just told, because they're looking for an executive pastor at Orchard. And I just told it what Stuart Brisker told us back in 91. We wrote to say, hey, give us some ideas. And Stuart wrote back. He was at Elmbrook. Nobody knows his name. He's a million years old. Okay, forget it. But he's a Brit. And he wrote back, look under your nose, Stuart. That was it. So I just passed that wisdom on to Karen, you know. Okay. Make sense? That answer the question? Yeah, but from, what did you start from the beginning? Pardon? Oh, from the beginning. Oh, no. How you started from the beginning is by your life. Having a progressive, Christ-centered life and all the things we just talked about. Listening to him. Most important, talking to him next. And building trust with the people around you. Know who your core is and invest your life. Yes? Do you have pastors serving on the elder board? Yes. We got 13 lay elders and we have 13 pastors. But we're Presbyterian, as it turns out. Don't say that to anybody. Okay. Because our, our lay elders are the ruling elders. Oh, I didn't say that. And they're the governing elders. And, and our pastors are teaching elders. We're under authority. And we need to be under authority. But again, a million ways to do that. Okay, anybody else? Yes? Let's say you're in a position where um, this Christ-centered culture doesn't exist. Right. You're also not in a position of big influence. Great question. At what are some things that you would recommend? Okay. And at what point do you go, I need to go? Are you done? <laughs> Nick told me, don't interrupt! So I'm not going to interrupt. Okay. Okay. And, and number one, you can do as much in that culture as any other culture because it starts with you. That's what I'm saying. The facilities guy, the bookstore, the cafe can have as much impact. Now, it's a little more efficient top down, but guess what? You're not going to find that mostly. So it's bottom up. And the guys complain all the time about certain things. And I go, hey, I get it. But guess what? We're going to make gospel lemonade. Yeah, we can't do that, but you can do this. Less, I got 200% to do. We vent and we repent. That's number one. What's the second one? What's there a second one? At what point do you say, I've done all I can do? Oh, I can tell you exactly when. <laughs> Kidding. Whenever the, as you seek the kingdom first, do the most important thing, you'll get a sense. But that's a judgment call. And everyone, well, this is when, this is when. If I tell you when, don't even pay attention to me. It's when the Spirit of God, now get counsel, get godly counsel, but then do what you think God's leading you to do because it's a prayerful judgment code for guess. <laughs> okay? But again, be, but it's after talking to God, talking to other people, 
and not quickly. Give it time. Because the problem is you. And when you go to someplace else, guess what's going with you? You're going with you. And if you don't deal with your problem here, you're going to take it to the next place and make it even more dysfunctional. What is the problem? I am. Yes. How do you handle healthy disagreement between elders and landing at a godly decision? Plurality, parity, and unity. I remember we had an elder meeting and with Matt Matthews, and I disagreed on a decision that was pretty much everybody else agreed with. And I read the next week from Derek Prime's book. And I said, I love the fact that I didn't agree because we had plurality. Oh, we just did a thing on the open house at the staff meeting a couple weeks ago. I think we should do this open house called uh, Community Day where blah, blah, blah. But I could tell the guy in charge of it, I was, he's a really nice guy. And I could tell he didn't like the idea. I said, okay, what would you do? And he told me what he'd do. I wouldn't do that, but that's okay. And I said, why don't you write that down? We'll talk about the staff meeting on Monday. And there was unanimity that well, that's what I'm going to do. So what I do? I trust God. I trust God. And I go with the team. Unless it's an essential for salvation, go with plurality. Ascent, and I, yeah. Or parity. And that's, how do you do that? By dying to your pride. Because frankly, I still think I'm right. Just kidding. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is we have plurality, parity, and that gives us unity in the one place as possible in Christ. Okay? Anybody else? That was a good question. They all are good. Sorry. Yes. What is one specific kind of all-encompassing book other than like the Bible, of course, for somebody who Help? I, I mean, there's a million books, unfortunately. And some of the I should write a book. I said, there's so much Christian pulp out there, it could sink a ship. Uh, but I, I think Thomas Watson, that first chapter on the glory to God, I think uh, Lead by Paul Tripp. I think Sticky Teams by Larry Osborne. There's a million of them. And I, I read the books that the guys are talking about. I said, tell, I have them at the tapping. Tell me what you're reading. What really, is, I got Sticky Teams because of Matt. Matt uh, Ross. I always read the books that the, because they always do the heavy lifting. Give me the cliff note. Okay, I'm going to read that. That's why I'm reading it. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, you could do uh, Trollus and the Vine. You could do the Vine Project. We love that for discipleship. Uh, any thoughts, John? Nick, you want to throw out there? Dying and Rising, what was that? That's Miller, right? Yeah, lead I thought was fabulous. But we give one, let's go with lead. Plurality right here, man. Lead is it. Huh? What? Design to lead is good. Yeah, good. One thing I was going to say, I remember I developed leadership training for Arthur Anderson. 188 countries, 200,000 people. I'm up there, and we go around the room. There's 15 of us in this room from all over the world. Everybody goes around, how many books did you read last year? 200, 395, 175. I was the last guy to go. I go, and they go, how about you? I go, I read one book last year. Everybody laughs. And then I said, it's the same book I read the year before. Oh, they're laughing. I'm actually being honest. And I read all the Warren Bennis, Cousin Pazer, uh, Stephen Covey, all those books, right? John Cotter. And I go, my goodness, these are all biblical principles. And I knew more than these people did because I knew Christ. So you got one book, that's the book. Everything else is supplemental. And be careful. Good Christian literature will take you away from the Bible. 
Everybody loves to read devotional. Secondary. Even commentary. Secondary. God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. Everything else is a supplemental. And you've got to fight that tendency. I do. And you're just like me. Because I'm, I'm naturally preparing every week on Saturday to speak. But I've got to be preparing to live. And so do you. Yes. Great. All the time. I wish we could help. Yeah, I try to delegate those out. If it's not, again, not a core person, I just met with a church from Columbus. Why? Because Scott Kennedy, who did our church plant, who was with us for 20 years, it's his friend. I met with him. I met with a church from Westside because the CEO, an important guy, called me. I said, hey, John, the only reason I'm meeting with you is not because of you, because your CFO was on my staff at Anderson. He's my core. I meet with the ones I need to meet with because they're my core people or core relationship. Everybody else, I give to somebody else. And Mickey Aquilino is doing the heavy lifting right now for me. And praise God for Mickey. Oh, yeah, go. Would you then say that when pastors do find themselves in a, in a position where they are now stepping down or they have failed to follow the number one rule, which is to keep the power of the culture of Christ in your mind? I think so. You can't be dogmatic on that, but it's a, a big factor. I'd say yes, but I want to yeah. know my mind, but don't have my mind made up. Yeah, I think that's the prevalent. The, if, you're not, if you're not dealing with the number one problem, every other problem is going to eat your lunch. Difficult circumstances, difficult people are going to eat your lunch because you don't take the log out of your own eye. And you're blinded by your sin. Do first things first, the rest will flow. No, you, you, you got plurality with God and find a biblical friend somewhere that you can pray with, talk with. And again, your friends will let you down, believers and unbelievers, but you can forgive them. Otherwise, you're going to be ticked off and bitter, resentful, self-pity, which is all sin. But you and I can repent because God's word tells me, i got to vent to God. This hurt me. That was unfair. And he'll say, okay, Jeff, you're done yet? Okay, and when you deal with a friend, you can't have them repent the way you're going to repent. You've got to let them vent, and in God's timing to repent. It's timing. My wife, when we have a problem, I want to talk about it right now. Not a good idea. I give it time because she needs time to process. I don't need any time to process. I'll get it done. But I've learned. Okay, does that make sense? Answer the question? I gather in the main session that you don't do strategic planning. Pardon why did, didn't you get a copy of <laughs> Lisa? Lisa, get him, get him everybody a copy of the strategic plan. It's the key to this church. Because we're British. Now I don't know if that's true. Colin might be more sure. Alistair can't stand anything written down. I come from Arthur Anderson. We write everything down. I write my navel down, right? We don't write anything down. Actually, my Britain. Brit, British partners were the same. Everybody loved listening to him at the partner meeting. Oh, I love that. I go, what do you say? I don't know. I love listening to his accent. <laughs> and, but they, all, this is not just Brits. Everybody thinks we're the ugly Americans. Everybody in the world. Why? And I learned this from Mike Ross in Ecuador. 
You cut down the tall poppy. We haven't, have been the tall, I don't know about now. We were the tall poppy. But I remember when we were in Spain with Kep, we're over there, we're taught all the, the, the pastors that asked us to go over there, guess we're all hillbillies. What that means for Spaniards? That means they're from South America. And we're the cowboys. And we're meeting with some guys in Madrid that didn't invite us, but they wanted to come to this thing. They have a church of 30 people for the last 3,000 years. And, and guess what? Oh, no, no, you guys can't teach us. And that's how the Europeans are. We're the ugly Americans. And frankly, we've earned that. And, but the, and the Egyptians feel that way. Everybody feels that way about us. And that's why we had a, a missions meeting with a guy from Delhi, a guy from Egypt, a guy from Bolivia, and a guy from now Miami, but he's from Santa Cruz. And the point is, I learned. Now, the world would say, oh, look, you're really helping these guys out. Uh-uh. Mutual discipleship. I learned more than they'll, I hope. I learned a ton. It was humbling. I needed that time with them. And we're going to do it again tomorrow. And even this session, why do I, hey, Jeff, you've already done to your staff people, what do you do again? Because they need to be reminded. Because believers are the most forgetful people in the world. We forget what we should remember, and we remember what we should forget because we're not repenting. Yes. Well, you're an overachiever here, man. I like it. So uh, I assume you and Alistair have had a sharp disagreement. I think that's fair. How did you solve that? I'm not going to say anything. Go into his pastors and teachers. He'll say in that book, he, I'll, I'll get a page number if you really want it. He says, Jeff makes his point clear, humbly, prayerfully, and then I entrust it to God. Because it's just my stinking opinion. If not, I've got to be willing to die for it. It's not an essential. That's why you hold tightly to God and lightly to your plan. And the same thing for him with the elders. They don't always tell them what they want to hear. But they need to go humbly, prayerfully, carefully. Seeking God's glory, yes. We see in the scripture, you, you, you've been talking about following Jesus, and that's, that's exactly the priority. But uh, Paul says, uh, follow me as, as I follow right? Jesus. Yes. Uh, how does that balance out? Prayerfully and carefully. Your number one responsibility is to follow. And if you follow, I said the best leaders are the best followers. The most important thing we can do, not you, we, is follow Jesus. And people are following us. The guys in business are following me. The people here at Parkside are following me. Not my words, but my life. And, you know, I've heard it so often, people can't hear your words because if you're in your core, your life speaks so loudly. So get your life in line. And that means you're going to have to die and rise, not just once a day, all day long. The J-Curve is a good book on that. At least Nick and I think so. We are talking about times Paul gets after people pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, Corinthians. Galatians. Yeah, because it wasn't essential. He was distorting justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. Hey, we're adding to it a works righteousness. That you got to be willing to die. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. You got to be willing to die, but be careful on what you think the essentials are for salvation. 
Are you willing to die? We had this discussion at Stabney a couple months ago. And one of the guys said, well, you know, people, some of those people, 288 people that were burned to the stake, died for baptism. I go, that's fine. I wouldn't. My view on baptism. I think it's important, but I'm not going to die on it because it's not a salvific issue. Arminian, more reformed. I have an opinion. I'm not going to die on it. Eschatology. I have an opinion. Well, we are at Parkside. And, and I'll tell you what you find in a lot of churches. I was taught, we were in a prayer meeting here just a week ago. No, no, a month ago. And I was listening to people. We had eight people around a circle. And I was listening to this one woman talk afterward, just getting to know people. And I said, by the way, and she's from West Virginia, but she was in California. And I asked her where she went to church. I knew where she went to church. Because she was wanting know what she said. Because she's following the guy that was preaching. And she was following the guy up front. No names mentioned here, okay? So be careful how you're living. Because God sees it all, and your people are watching you. Not your words. they got to listen to your words a little bit. But if that gap, I remember being in London with my family. And you get into the underground, it goes, mind the gap. Right, Karen? Mind the gap. I mean, don't stick your foot in there when a train's coming in. Man, you're going to get crushed. But that's how it is in believers. We need to mind the gap. And that's a lifelong journey for all of us, the best of us. We stop minding the gap. We stop leading people. Even if the crowd applause, human praise, approval of my peers, public recognition, which we all crave, but we can repent. My first the last two weeks is Jeremiah 45. I'm just reading through Jeremiah. It's a little tough there, 47 to 49. That's okay. Judgment. i got to remember that. Judgment's coming. That should motivate me. But in 45.5, Jeremiah is talking to Baruch. God talking through Jeremiah to Baruch. He says, do you seek, oh, what was the word? Glory? No. Praise? Glory? Okay, let's look it up. When in doubt, do you seek? Do you seek? Do you seek? Okay, stay tuned. I'll be with you. But you, are you seeking great things for yourself? There you go. Do not Exactly. And you know what, everyone in this room? You do seek great things for yourself. And so do I. But we can repent. And we must repent. We're all glory hounds. And all the glory's got to go to him. When you pass the glory to your authority, you pass it to your peers, you pass it to your subordinate, guess who you're really passing it to? To Jesus. And when you're giving lip service to Jesus, but you're you know, taking all the glory, it's just talk. And talk is cheap. Done? Okay, I'll stick around. There's a, somebody here I'm supposed to have dinner with, too. I don't know who it is. Maybe not here. Maybe we're... Okay. okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for each person here. Thank you that we have an equal opportunity to have a Christ-centered life progressively and influence the culture that you place us in, no matter how dysfunctional it is. Father, help us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to develop a core focus. Help us to invest our life because we serve you. And because we serve you, we serve those around us, believers and unbelievers. He said those who want to be first have to be the last of all. Have to be the servant of all. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Father, may our lives be marked by increasing likeness to Christ so we can be more useful right where you've placed us. And if there's a better place for us, we ask that you would make it obvious. 
And we trust that because you promised us to do that. So help us to spend most of our time on what we know and trust you for the things we don't know, which is the majority of it, except for the big, except for gospel essentials. Thank you for each man in this room. And Father, forgive me for things I said that weren't of you. And I pray that you would protect these men and Karen and that they would remember one thing and that they would pray it and trust it and be transformed by your truth, by the power of your Holy Spirit that lives within us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Truth For Life. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Truth For Life. This content has been provided to you free of charge by the generous supporters of Truth For Life. For additional information about how you can support Truth For Life, please visit us online at truthforlife.org. There you'll find free message downloads from Alistair Begg, as well as links to our podcast, mobile apps, and other resources to help you grow in your Christian faith. Again, the website is truthforlife.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay in touch with Truth For Life and Alistair Begg. Truth For Life where the learning is for living.